You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 11, educators discuss a culture of care with Dr. Amy Yillick. Welcome back to OEA Grow. I am Dr. Amy Yillick, your host for Season 11. Today, we're going to continue our conversation on culture of care work, and I will be talking with Katie Diaz about interoception. Katie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here with us. Um, Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm an occupational therapist. I work in the field of education. I primarily serve students kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, I also have the opportunity to work with the BRIGHT program in Redmond, Oregon. Um, BRIGHT stands for Bridge for Resilient Youth in Transition, and that's a program for children transitioning into education um, who may have some challenges around their mental health and need some extra support reintegrating into the classrooms. Great. That sounds like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How did you end up in education? Uh, Well, my mom was a teacher. She was a fifth grade teacher. And my dad was actually a clinical social worker. And he was the regional director of Providence Adult Day Treatment in Portland, Oregon. And uh, my dad introduced me to occupational therapy because he had several occupational therapists that worked for him in his programs. And I thought what they did was very, very interesting and my mom introduced me to education, so I think I just combined the two. Yeah. Maybe, I, you know, I was a school psychologist, so I had the joy of being able to work with occupational therapists, but um, maybe some of our listeners don't even know what an occupational therapist does in schools. Would you mind just briefly telling us about that role? Yeah, I'll try my best to be brief. Um, (laughs) We OTs are constantly practicing our two-minute elevator speech on what OT is. Um, Basically, when we talk about occupation, that's around what occupies a person's time. So their work, their self-care, play, leisure. So in education, um, there's there's an edu- there's a combination of all of those things um, for a child to be successful in school. So we're looking at their role as a student, as a community member, how they're navigating the school environment um, with their um, self-care activities, with their ability to access and engage in their education. So that might look at their physical, Um, challenges or limitations, also their strengths, and then also emotional and behavioral challenges and strengths, and really, really trying to work with those strengths to bolster up their engagement and their participation in education. Great. So it sounds like 
like working with kiddos that might have a lot of sensory issues and helping them be able to kind of navigate education and beyond all the things that go into that. Yeah, yeah, sensory is definitely a lens that we OTs look through. It's one component of that. Um, and we are sensory beings. So that's a very big part of how we experience our environment and engage with it. So yeah, we definitely look um, at children through that sensory lens and all those systems. Yeah, that's great. We could certainly use more of you these days, it seems like, since uh, kind of post-COVID in education. I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> Job security, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I am really fascinated. I learned about this term and this practice called interoception relatively recently, just within you know, within the last year or so, the term of it. Now, the concept of it, I think I've been working with for a very long time, but actually naming it interoception, I was like, what is this word? What does this mean? And so I'm going to ask you, what the heck is interoception? <laughs> yeah, interoception, we OTs um, tend to call it the eighth sensory sense. So, um, you know, there's the basic five senses of hearing, taste, smell, touch, um, and then sight. And then we also look at those more internal senses, such as vestibular. That's your uh, your relationship to gravity, your movement system. Um, and then there's the proprioceptive system, which is more the system that tells you where your body is in relation to itself. So you're looking at the muscles, joints, ligaments, and like, okay, I know that right now my hand is over my head or I am sitting in a chair. Um, and then there's the interoception or the interoceptive system, and that's the eighth sense that we talk about. And that's the sense that is constantly monitoring our entire body and our internal body system. So like our heart, lungs, stomach, bladder, muscles, skin. Um, and then it's collecting all that information about our how our body parts are feeling. So for example, like how your stomach might feel when it's feeling the sensation of hunger. Does it feel empty? Um, does it feel growly? Um, so that's kind of interoception. However, when we look at interoception, it's not just those internal body sensations, but also those sensations that are linked to emotions, those affective emotions, such as fear, anxiety, joy, and what are those body sensations that are linked to those emotions? So first we need to learn how, just what do, does our body feel like and what does that sensation feel like? And then we can link that to our emotions. So it's really, um, it's basically just very broadly defined as our perception of our internal body cues and how it's related to our emotional experiences. Yeah. 
so um, so fascinating that it has a name as a as a counselor psychologist. Since like the mid '90s, I have been asking students that I have been counseling when we talk about feelings, right? Which is ultimately just an energy in our body. And I ask them to say, where do you notice it in your body? And I never, I didn't have that language because I'm not an occupational therapist, that it was, you know, interoception is what I was kind of asking them like, okay, you're angry. How do you know you're angry? Where do you feel it in your body? And when I do um, trainings on wellness, that's one of the first things I have people notice is, okay, notice your body. Where are you, you know, feeling any discomfort, any energy, any, you know, whatever I might ask them to kind of notice. So I get the big construct of interoception and I've been using it for a long time, but you, you know, you have this knowledge of like what it is and what it means. So why is it even important for us to understand interoception, especially in, you know, relationship to our kiddos and their ability to regulate? Yeah, it's, it's so important. Um, You know, um, everybody experiences sensations differently in our body. And so what you are doing all these years by helping kids notice and pay attention to those um, sensations is interoceptive awareness and through mindfulness. Mindfulness is actually the single um, most evidence-based way to increase interoception and interoceptive awareness. So um, a lot of our kids, especially kids that may be struggling with um, emotional or behavioral challenges, um, trauma, they may experience their interoceptive awareness in ways that are really strong. So they they might really feel the sensations in an overpowering way, or they might not experience those um, emotions or f- sensations, um, or it might be really small and faint, or it might be distorted. So those sensations, they might not be really clear about where the location is in their body and how that's re- links to a feeling. So um, in order to help a child to regulate and to just notice those precursors to emotions um, or even body sensations such as hunger and having to go to the bathroom and things like that, we need to teach and discover with the child what do those um, those feelings feel like for them. It's very, very individualized. So um, having kids pay attention, notice, um, be curious about their body sensations in a non-judgmental way, in a low pressure way. Um, And even when it comes to interoception, a little more of a concrete way um, is can be very, very beneficial 
to the child and to ourselves. Let's face it, we could all work on our own interoceptive awareness and noticing our own precursors to our emotions and um, then be able to take care of ourselves. So really, we can't meet our needs and take care of ourselves unless we're noticing what's happening in our body first. So, um, so practicing some of those strategies of noticing, paying attention, and then linking that feeling to the emotion and then being driven to act to take care of that feeling. So it's, it's a kind of a three-part uh, strategy in working with kids around that. Right. So can I go back? You said something, and I maybe want to clarify what that might look like for listeners and maybe myself. Um, you said to notice the sensation in your body non-judgmentally. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so... Going back to the definition of mindfulness, it's paying attention on purpose to the present moment without judgment, right? And um, and I think in education, kids always think there needs to be a right answer to things. And it's, it's a little bit of a different way of looking at teaching this because really there's no correct or right answer because our interoceptive awareness is so individualized. So anxiety may feel like um, my head is spinning, my feet get cold, my hands get cold, my heart's beating fast. It may feel similar to other people, but also different. And so we can't tell a child, oh, you look this way, therefore you're having this emotion. We, And that's a little counterintuitive because I think some programs have been like that. This is what happiness looks like. This is what sad looks like. And um, we need to be able to help kids identify what is that look like for you? What does that feel like for you? And if we have some sort of like, oh, wrong answer, or a little bit of judgment behind that, they're going to maybe just kind of shut that down. And we're not helping them to discover what they need to do for themselves and what that looks like for themselves. So um, when I go in and I teach uh, little groups around mindfulness or interoceptive awareness, I'll always tell the kids, I'm going to ask you, what do you notice? What do you notice? And there are no wrong answers. You can tell me whatever you are noticing. Um, And I think that's a good practice for us to get into when we're talking with children around their interoceptive awareness. Right. Probably a good practice for everybody to be able to notice without judgment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good practice. You're right. <laughs> That's great. Thank you very much. Um, so I am, I'm currently enrolled in a graduate program and it's called um, Applied Educational Neuroscience. And I'll make sure to give the link in the, um, the notes for listeners. But we talk about in this program, it's, it's amazing, this program that I'm in, but they talk about 
the professor, Dr. Lori DeSaltel, talks about how co-regulation is our biological imperative. Like we are always seeking when we are in the presence of other people to be in a regulated state. And if we're not, if someone else is dysregulated, then we become dysregulated. Or if, you know, I'm dysregulated, then the people around me are more likely to become dysregulated. And so how do you help once you kind of get kids understanding their interoceptive awareness, what's the, what's the next step after that in regards to like regulation or is there? So after having kids notice, you mean like noticing their body sensations and how, um, what that feels like? Yeah. What's the next step? Yeah, yeah. it would be around um, doing almost like experiments. So there's this um, occupational therapist who's a leader in interoception. She's written a curriculum called the Interoception Curriculum. Her name is Kelly Mahler, M-A-H-L-E-R. And she has um, a great program for mapping those things out. So um, what you would do first is you would notice the sensation. You would link that sensation to the emotion. Like, okay, my hands are cold. They're shaky. My heart's racing. My head is swirling. I think I'm anxious. And then you would um, eventually get to a place where you are identifying strategies that help you to take care of that emotion and to nourish your nervous system. So for me, it's like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Um, I'm going to take some deep breaths in my car. I'm going to listen to my favorite song. Um, and I'm going to do a quick body scan and just make sure that my body is calm and relaxed. That might be my strategies that work. And then I'll notice those, um, feelings kind of subside. So I'll notice my heart rate slows down. I'll notice my warmth comes back to my hands and I'm ready to go. Um, but that takes a process as well. So you might do some experiments in practicing different strategies around calming and taking note. Did How did that feel for my body? Did that feel good? Could I take it? Could I leave it? And then noticing, more of that noticing, more of that paying attention of, okay, when I hold something warm, how did, did that even change how I felt? That's really even the first step is for kids to notice, oh, when I do something, it changes how I feel. So then, then you can move on. So it, it's, a, it's a process, you know, to be able to, to notice, link to the emotion, Notice that things that you do change how you feel and then notice what works to help that sensation subside. So um, that's kind of super quick and easy. It's not like you just, oh, and do this. And what I love about what you just mentioned is I know for myself, especially in schools, you know, I. I was the person that people would bring kids to when they were dysregulated, mm-hmm. right? As a psychologist, mm-hmm. and usually at the high school, that was usually um, crying or a kid looked like they were really they wanted to punch something. You know, it was kind of those those 
extreme ends um, would come to me. And I, I would say, okay, well, let's take a deep breath and, or let's talk about it. And so talking doesn't work for me. And what I love about interoception is it helps kids really figure out what does work for them individually, because that's true in the moment, especially when we're dysregulated, (laughs) it is hard to talk sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, But just being able to do those sensations for us individually of what works. And so as a teacher, um, if you have kids that really struggle with staying regulated, this would be the first step of that, you know, interoceptive, interoceptive awareness, and then having them, you know, kind of expand that into, okay, yeah, I noticed these sensations and then, then this is might be the feeling and then these might be the things that help it feel better. So. Yeah, definitely. And and I also want to say that um, as a teacher, it might feel like, whoa, that's a lot. Like I got to, that's a lot of stuff I have to work through with a kid. Um, but really, truly, you are winning as a teacher if you are even just practicing with your classroom, noticing and paying attention. So one of the th- first things you might do is just practice noticing some some body sensations. So today class, we're going to just notice our hands. We're going to notice, do our hands feel warm? Do they feel cold? Do they feel sweaty? Do they feel dry? Do they feel tight? Do they feel loose? Um, is there any pain anywhere in your hands? Do you have a hangnail anywhere? Just noticing your hands. Um, that's, you know, just teaching kids just to tune in to a part of their body and notice. And then the next week you can do feet. You know, you could throughout the day, um, be like, okay, let's check in. What temperature are your hands right now? We just got in from recess. Are your hands warm? Or are they cold? And there's no wrong or right answer. You know, are your are your shoes tight or are they loose? You know, so just really having kids tune in and pay attention and get get started with that. And you can really do that at any age and any level of right. student. And I imagine, I I think this is the beauty of it. I imagine even just asking your kids, like after they've come in from lunch or after they've come in for recess or at the beginning of a period, maybe before they take a test, right? Like even just asking them to stop and focus on what do you notice in your hands, that that in and of itself sounds like that might be regulating because you're putting your attention on one thing. Right. For some kids. Now, for some kids, maybe not. They might notice that they're getting more agitated. But I would imagine that for most people, just the act itself, that quick little one minute activity of like, okay, let's all notice our hands um, could help kind of bring that energy to a more regulated state. Yeah, because really what they're doing is mindfulness. They're noticing, they're paying attention to the present moment without judgment. So it's just a little quick little mindfulness activity. And and I never tell kids they have to do it. I think that's part of that trauma-informed um, 
piece of it is, you know, um, I'm not going to force a kid to tell me what they're feeling or thinking. Um, and I've had kids say pass and I'm like, all right, you know, and, but hopefully they're maybe doing a little bit of that tune in themselves. Um, and also just like another little plug along those lines. And I know you do this, Amy, is I, I never require a child to close their eyes because that can feel unsafe um, when they tune into a part of their body. I might inc um, invite them. If you feel comfortable, you can close your eyes and notice your feet. Um, if you want, you can just keep your eyes open and just kind of gaze downward. So um, just some, I just wanted to put a little plug in for that too, yeah. for that trauma-informed piece. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's so important. Um, that to be safe, <laughs> to feel safe, to have safety is like the number one <laughs> foundation of, you know, being trauma informed. So it's great. Um, so I'm curious, you know, within a culture of care, we, you know, try to take care of kids. We try to take care of each other and we try to take care of ourselves. So what do you do to take care of yourself to make your work in education sustainable? Yeah, I, um, I, I have my own mindfulness meditation practice that I do so that hopefully I can access some of those tools when I'm in a more heightened um, level of alertness or experiencing a strong emotion or some stress. Um, so I, I, I try to kind of tune in um, to my body several times a day. I'll um, I'll often, I have the opportunity of checking in with myself in my car between schools. We OTs, um, tend to travel from school to school quite a bit. So I might take a moment. I'll listen to my favorite music, um, in my car and then I'll sit and just take a few deep breaths, kind of check in with how I'm feeling, um, and, um, who I might be encountering that day and, um, just kind of making sure I'm taking care of myself. Um, walks are always helpful. Um, I, I try to spend a lot of time in nature. Nature is just my medicine. So before and after work, I, I go on walks. I take my dog out on the trails. Uh, so really, yeah, I, I think a word that I've adopted because somebody gave me this sticker to put on my water bottle is choose nourishment. And that's kind of become like a mantra for me is am I choosing nourishment right now? Am I nourishing my body? Am I nourishing my heart? Um, am I getting my sleep? Am I drinking enough water? Um, what am I doing to nourish myself? And I just love that word. I love it too. It really, I know this year I'm really, I mean, I have, it's been an evolution the last couple of years of moving away from this idea of self-care to moving towards wellness. And I love that that choose nourishment feels like it fits into the compass of wellness rather than, you know, self-care as this one and done kind of strategy. So yeah, thank you for that. I imagine some listeners will be able to um, take some tips there from that for themselves. So that's great. Thank you.
I do have um, another question for you, and it's more around, you know, if I could give you a magic wand around this work of interoception, what would happen? What would you do with that magic wand? Uh, that's a really, really good question. Um, I could think of like 10, 15 things I would want to do with my magic wand, but I think I would just, I would love to see interoceptive awareness being taught school-wide in schools. Um, I just like imagine a school where the teachers and the students are just practicing that throughout their day. It's being infused into the school day and little pieces multiple times a day. Um, I just the awareness that's happening with adults and children learning that um, alike. I think we adults need to really also tune in to our interoception. And so, um, so learning alongside the students would be just lovely. Um, when I first um, learned about mindfulness, I, it was when I took a class at the University of Pennsylvania called Teaching Mindfulness to Children. And I went into the class thinking that I'll learn so much about regulating children. I'll have all these great tools, which I did. I learned a lot of great um, ideas around mindfulness and teaching it to children. But I also learned that I didn't really practice it myself and that when I started doing it for myself, it made a huge impact on my life and it changed my life for the better. And, um, and that one single class um, just changed the trajectory of my career, actually. So um I think it would just be lovely if we were all took on that uh, mindset of being learners alongside our kids and practiced interoception together multiple times a day and really gave each other a lot of um, just permission to, to learn and to um, notice without that judgment piece. I love it so much. I think we've all heard this this little saying, but I think it really sums up what you just said. Like a dysregulated adult can't regulate a dysregulated student. Right. And so we have to have that awareness first. So um, before we wrap up our time together, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know that we haven't talked about yet? Um. I think just one thing I'd like to leave the listeners with would be around how we look at um, taking data on our kids. We are data-driven, and um, just to ask ourselves when we're looking at and working with children with um, challenging behaviors, what kind of data are we taking? Are we taking data on their verbal outbursts, their physical aggressions, avoidance. Or maybe we could take data on how often does the child smile during the day? How much are they engaging with their peers? How much are they 
advocating for themselves emotionally. Um, and I know that there, there are people who are taking data on that. And I think that is fantastic. And I also think we could all improve in um, looking at that piece of what do we really want to see and what specifically can we take data on that um, moves away from the, the challenging behaviors. So just a, just a little shift, I think, of mindset for myself. This is a reminder for myself as well. <laughs> I love it so much that it's really having that focus on the positive that, um, of what the child can do and what they're capable of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh Katie, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. I um, love chatting with you about this topic, and I have no doubt that it will be fascinating for any of our listeners. I just appreciate your time. I know you are a very busy woman, so... Well, thank thanks you for, for me. And thanks for having me. And it's been my pleasure. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad. Um, so next week on OEA, we will continue talking about components of culture of care. And uh, I thank you for listening and take care. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.